that you love us and care for us. God, I thank you a bunch because you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whatever we go and whenever we go into your word, your Holy Spirit always wants to reveal something to us, to show us more about who you are and what you think. And God, I ask that there would be for each person here an encounter with your truth in the middle of all the things we're going to talk about. God, you care and you love us so much, and I'm so grateful you work with us where we're at. Everyone said? Yes. Amen. Happy International Women's Day. May we as the City River community continue to move in the place where there's no need for a special day, whether you're a woman or a child or a man. And may we come to see that every person is unique and has value in who they are and what God's planted in them. Amen? But until we get there, happy International Women's Day. Now, I really appreciate the number of people who gave specific comments two weeks ago to um, the sermon on biblical doubt and how it encouraged them or how it impacted them. My goal was to help people be liberated from feeling guilty about having doubt. And we looked at that God said, you know, he dealt with, you know, doubt all the time. And people weren't condemned. And I trust it helps you on your journey. If you were there, I just want to touch a couple of things because I'm going to do kind of a part two with doubt today. Doubt, there's two kinds of doubt. One is doubt from a desiring relationship. It's one that moves towards God. It's the kind of doubt that says, really? When God comes to us and says something that just is more than we're able to step into at the moment. Do you really mean what you just said to me? Really? I don't know how to get there. But then there's that other kind of doubt that wants control. It's a scoffing doubt. It's the one that closes the arms and says, prove it to me. Biblical doubt moves us towards relationship. Scoffing doubt pulls us away. Scoffing doubt says, I want to be in control. I decide where we go, what we do, how we think. Everybody's free to disagree. And if you have questions, please feel free to come up and talk with me after the service. But I suggest skeptical doubt is the rejection of God and choosing self over God. No, I don't think so. That's not what I think. Biblical doubt stretches us and moves us into a desire for more relationship. I don't understand this. This is too big. Remember Ephesians 2.20 says, exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. God comes to us and tells us something that just goes, 
I don't have a grid for that. It's too big. Really, God? Would you really do that? Am I really seated right now at the right hand of the Father with you? I don't even understand what it means to be a a citizen of heaven living on earth. That kind of doubt moves us towards God. George MacDonald, whom probably no one has heard of, is known mostly for being the mentor for C.S. Lewis. So you know this guy's pretty smart. He said this, You doubt because you love the truth. Doubts are the messengers of the living one to rouse an honest heart. See, doubt isn't something that's just negative. It stirs up in us a longing and a desire for something more than what we've had already. See, if if we've already figured everything about God out, why do we need him? If, If we know everything about God, what's the point? I'm already smarter than he is. Now, any of you who've known me for longer than about 30 seconds know I'm not smarter than God. So, sure, I have doubts. But it's the doubt towards God, not the skeptical prove it to me or I'm not believing and going there. I just like this one so much I'll say it again. You doubt because you love the truth. Doubts are the messengers of the living one to rouse honest hearts. I think when we have biblical doubt, we're in pretty good company because we're in a place to prepare to step into something we don't understand now. What are you saying? Really, God? No condemnation at all? How's that work? So maybe by this time you've reached the place that biblical doubt is not a sin. You are not less of a Christian because you have doubt. I guess I could make this a six-parter on doubt, and then we could feel a little more confident. Look, you're not less of a Christian because you doubt. And we went through biblical examples last time of people who walked with Jesus even and still had doubt. And he worked with them to draw them into greater revelation. It's okay. Now, having said that, biblical doubt is not wrong. Staying in a place of doubt will at some point diminish the quality of your Christian life. Everybody has doubt, but nowhere in the Bible does God say that staying in doubt is something he desires or wants or has a plan in your life. What I suggest today is maybe too simplistic, but I'm not very complicated. It might not be satisfying to everyone who wants to hear this. There are, two, there are two basic concepts that will very likely determine the speed and the quality of your movement from doubt to faith. And we're going to talk about those today. First one is, who is the object of your faith? In whom do you have faith? And the answer to that is going to impact how quickly you move from doubt to faith. The second one is, who is the instructor of your faith? Who educates you in your move from doubt to faith? 
If you don't get anything else, here's what I'd like you to take home with you. The quality of your faith is determined by the object and the instructor of your faith. Whatever quality of faith you walk in, it's going to be determined by the object of your faith and the instructor of your faith. So first thing, who is the object of your faith? Everyone. From the atheist, the agnostic, the humanist, the religious zealot, and yes, even Christians, has something or someone as the object of their faith. Everybody has it. We don't live in a void or a vacuum. Everybody has something that is the object of their faith. The object of our faith will determine the speed and the quality and the sustainability of our journey into faith. So what we pick to say, this is what I trust in. This is the one that's going to define. This is the thing that's going to be the characteristic of what I believe matters. It matters so much, it will determine how fast you get into faith in any one subject and faith generally. Now, there are lots of objects of people's faith in our world. There's a whole bunch of them. Some people have faith in money, knowledge, science, social values, things we achieve. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of them, okay? We're not down on any of that stuff. God invented them or inspired all of them. The reason you get up and go to work is God inspired. Isn't that amazing? I wish I'd known that when I was making my two-and-a-half-hour commute in Los Angeles. It would have helped me at about six in the morning. They're not bad. However, they're unlikely to serve as unshakable objects for your faith when you navigate life. If our, if our faith is in our achievement, when we don't achieve, what happens to our faith? If our faith is in our spouse and something blows up, what happens to our faith? If our faith is in the cause that we're aligned with, in, you know, like health or politics, and it goes south, what happens to our faith? The more substantive, the more unshakable the object of our faith, the more, the more we will walk in faith. If it's variable, we're going to have a problem. But it isn't really about business or money or politics. What we really have faith in is not those things. It's us. The object of most people's faith Christian or non-Christian is us. Because the political activity, the way you look at your value, your achievements, the financial statement you have is going to be determined differently by everybody. Most people, most of the time, including most Christians, have the object of their faith as themselves. I can't figure it out. 
I can't figure it out, so it must not be true. You just talked about money. That's a good place to start. It's the base to get in the door to start removing the idol of money in your life is tithing. And everybody here had to sit and decide, am I going to really trust God with this thing? Who? I'm going to have to decide if I'm going to trust God. What did we just say is the object of our faith? Me. So we can point to all the stuff outside of us, but really what we're saying, and most of the world, including Christians, we're saying is, I'm the one who is the object of my faith. What I think, what I feel, what I believe, how I choose to interact, the things I tend to say, going here, not going there, is me. Let's, as a reminder, look at the people from the last time, last sermon. Thomas. You can read about him again if you, you don't know where he's at in John 20 to 24 to 29. Don't go there because I'm going to go quick, real quick with that. What was the object of Thomas's faith when he started his encounter with Jesus? His own experience. What did he say? I won't believe unless I can touch the, the nail prints and put my hand in his side. My experience doesn't believe in this thing. That was his starting place. Me. What about Nicodemus? What was the object of his faith? His intellect to understand the process. How can a man be born again? I don't understand. His starting place was my understanding, not something external to me. What about Gideon? Oh, I'm sorry. In case you're keeping track, John 3, 3 to 21 is Nicodemus. Gideon is in Judges 7. What was the object of Gideon's faith? His own ability to understand the circumstances. God comes to him and says, hey, you're going to wipe out the Midianites. And Gideon goes, who, me? Because his measurement was based on what he saw him doing. His own value was the object of his, his own faith. The man with the demonized son in Mark 9, 20 to 24. What was the object of his faith? Fix my kid. Heal my kid. It wasn't about the great cosmos or anything. Fix my kid. And how did it work out for those people? Not so good. Because the object of our faith has to be bigger than us. If for no other reason, then what's your experience? When we believe in us, it tends to go south pretty quick. I have faith in myself for about 15 seconds, and then something goes wrong. On a good day, it's 20. Woo-hoo. Hebrews 11.1, 1, do turn there. Bless you. By the way, that was an amazing time of contemplation and just going, hey, God, I want to get real with you. And dealing with doubt is a very real, amazing time with God to go, God, I don't get it. I don't get how I can pray for somebody I don't know, and they get healed immediately of something that's incurable, and I come home and pray for my wife, and she's still sick. I don't get it. So it's perfect. It's awesome. 
I just sat and kind of marinated in that song. Just go, yeah, that, I, I live there a lot. Are you there yet? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope and certain of what we do not see. The definition of hope is the confident desire for and expectation of security, trust, and good. What are we looking for to get that confident security, trust, and good? That's where our hope is. So for most people, faith is being sure of the person or thing, the social good, the education, the science, the money, you fill in the blank, that we desire and expect will give us consistent goodness and safety and protection in our life. Are you with me? I understand this can be a little bit challenging, but we got to get down to the root to say, where do I actually place my faith and confidence? And most of us, most of the time, do it in ourselves. And faith says, whatever your hope is going to be, it's the thing you go to when everything else collapses. When nuclear warheads hit your life, where do you go to stand? And all of us have been in the place where we said, I can't do this anymore. And if hope dies, faith dies. Because what's the definition of faith? Faith Faith is the assurance of what we hope for. If hope diminishes, our faith will diminish. If we don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. What we hope in drives everything about who we are as a Christian. And most of us have as our hope ourselves, as the bottom line answer for everything. And everyone said, oh, my God, help me now. Okay, maybe everybody didn't, but I certainly do that. Can we ever be sure of everything? I don't know. Probably not. But what we will make whatever we place our hope in the object of our faith. I hope my life works. I hope the plans I have happen. I hope what I've envisioned is going to come about. The Bible tells us there's only one place we can have hope. It says it over 25 times that we are to hope in God. We're never told to hope in anything else. We don't hope in our business. We don't hope in our spouse. We don't hope in our church. We don't hope in our understanding of what's going to come. We are to hope in God, and that's the only option the Bible gives us. It doesn't mean we exclude all the other stuff, but the bottom line core value that we have to say when the bomb explodes, here is where my hope rests, biblically is required to be God. No matter whether we get it here, whether we get it here, whether we get it anywhere else, heart, mind, soul, whatever kind of a thing, it has to be that or we've stepped outside of the parameters that God has given us to live a life that's secure. God is good whether I understand it or not. God always has a recovery plan for my life, whether I know how to find it or not. Even when I'm in pain, God has a solution for that pain, whether I know how to get there or not. 
God is always with me, whether I feel him or not. Because of who God says he is, rather than my experience, my ability to figure it out, my feelings, or whatever. They aren't, my, my feelings aren't invalid. The things I think aren't invalid, but they are not the basis for me to have hope. A Christian is only functioning in the fullness of what God's given them when they say, my hope is in God and he's going to do this whether I get it, figure it out or not. Now, I chose to wear blue jeans today for a specific reason. This is a working sermon. This is not theoretical. I don't do theory very good. When I was sitting where you are on a Sunday morning, my whole approach was, I don't care what you tell me on Sunday if I can't take it to work with me on Tuesday and deal with my wife on Thursday and interact with my kids on Saturday. What I want, I'm t- hoping to talk with you about is not something that sounds good when you walk out the door, but something during the week when it explodes. You have a fight with your kid, your spouse, your neighbor. You don't get the raise. You get passed over for a raise. Nobody recognizes who you do and what you do. You don't feel like God is with you. What do we do? It comes down to the object of our hope. And we either hope in God or the vast majority of the time, we hope in us. And if we hope in us, it's going to be a long week. But that means going to work. I don't wear my real nice pants when I go to work. What are you hoping? Where is your hope directed? Money? Job? Status? Understanding? Connecting with the right social values, ourself, or do we hope in God? Not in a Sunday at 1245 kind of a hope in God. A hope in God when somebody rams into the back of your car. A hope in God when you get laid off. A hope in God when the check in the mail does not come. They don't even do that anymore. i got to get a new updated thing. When the revenue you are hoping for doesn't arrive, then what do you do? Are you, are you hearing me? This matters. It comes down to a choice of one or the other. We will hope in God or we will hope in something else. If we are biblical Christians, we have one option, hope in God. But to functionally live there takes more. I love when you encourage me. Thank you. But to hope in God takes more than an amen on Sunday during sermon. It's the digging in to say, God, I married a monster. Mary says that about me all the time, I'm sure. You didn't hear. Mary says that about me all the time. Like, what? No, she doesn't. (laughs) But you haven't been married for long in about three or four years, and you haven't thought something like that. What the heck happened to this person? 
That's a brave man. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If our faith doesn't have guts to work during the hard times, it's not going to work at all. This is a joke. If it only works here. What is your faith in? Is your faith in you, however it gets expressed, or is your faith in God? I hope in God because he is always consistent, even when I'm not. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Where's your hope? Second thing, who's the instructor of your faith? If the object of our faith is yourself, what we think, what we experience, what we feel is going to be the instructor of our faith. We're going to take the entire grid of everything we read in social media, interact with people and hear all these things and say, this is my grid for how I'm going to be instructed to walk in, in faith. Now, we live in an amazing time. There is more access to information now than probably the entire history of the world up to this time. I grew up, and Google was a set of encyclopedias on a, on a bookcase. That was out of date like three seconds after it was printed. We have more information available to us now than we've ever had in the history of the world. And we're more confused and more lost than we've ever been as a human race. Just knowing stuff is not going to get us there. Hello? Just knowing the Bible as an information book is not going to get us there. You've read about the Pharisees, right? They could quote the first five books. I think anybody who can quote numbers is like, are you kidding me? And they missed God. It isn't about even biblical knowledge if it doesn't translate into something else. Why are we so lost in a time when there's so much available? Because for people that have themselves as the object of their faith, the instructor becomes each person. Anybody blocked any websites or people? Okay, there's a few people that are not lying here. We've all done that because we don't want to see it because we're already sitting a grid that says, I don't want to hear that point of view because it doesn't agree with me. And who is the object of my faith? Me. Most of the world, most of the time, including most Christians. Me. It didn't help us because there's no screen. There's no grid. Psychology, finance, science, family, sexuality, all have their inputs. They all have their discoveries. They all have their errors. They all have their inputs into us. There's nothing wrong with these fields. I thank God for all of them. We know more now than we did before. We, we're talking about, we have mental health thing. 20 years ago, you never see something like that. Praise God. But if that is going to be the criterion and input for you to be healthy, we're in trouble. 
because they're going to discover more stuff in the next five years, and some of it's going to be in conflict with what they're going to tell us now. I grew up with coffee being good for you, bad for you, good for you, bad for you, good for you. No, the, the bad part, no, it's good for you all the time. It, it, it's the nectar of heaven. Okay, that might be slightly biased. I, I, I truly admit that. But, you know, information that comes from earth is going to be changed around, going back and forth. What we believe now isn't what we believed back then. Raising kids, it's entirely different. Raising little kids is just so different now than what it was before. I have the memory of being addressed on the opposite end of my my body when I didn't quite measure up to the requirement. And now it's not legal to do that. Is it better? I don't know. Probably in another 15 years or 20 years, they'll find something else. What's my whole point? We've got all of this knowledge, but if we are the, the guardians of what comes in, we are the screeners, we are the ones that say this is true and not true, we're setting ourselves up to be instructed incompletely. Today, there's no world or societal source of faith instruction that speaks with certainty about how we should live. Now we have phrases like, my truth and your truth, as if it were negotiable. But there is the truth, and that's where we want to build on. Something that doesn't change because 20 years passed. Somebody did a different research kind of a project. If God, through the Bible and his communication with us, is the instructor of our faith, we have access to eternal truth. Now, we may not know how to apply it, but at least we're going to the right source. And as we go to the right source, whether in times of sorrow, like we sang about, or times of great joy, like we sang about, if we're going to the source that is unchangeable truth, then what's going to happen? Our faith is going to be more solid because our hope is in God and not in the latest piece of information we can get off the Internet. It doesn't change. Romans ten seventeen. You can look at it or I'm going to read it, but you might want to look back. It says this, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. In verse 17, look at this phrase, word of Christ. It literally means rhema or current word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing what God says to you right now. If you just go the open and point method, you know, it might be Judas went out and hanged himself. Go there and do likewise. You know, it's like we can get into all kinds of mess if we just randomly point things. But when God says, here's the thing I have for you right now that's going to give you a basis to build your faith and confidence and hope on For this circumstance, I got through the time driving to the hospital with Mary because God, I I said one one morning, you know, about a month into this, I can't do this anymore. I can't do the dog. I can't do the moving. I can't do my wife in the hospital. You got to do something for me. He said, pull over. Okay. What do you want to say to me? I am new for you every morning. Every, well, that's a Bible verse. It really works. 
But he applied that one customized to me to say, you come and talk to me this morning. And I want to tell you some way I'm going to be new for you so that when you have all this stuff you have to do, I'm going to be here to show myself different for you. When we start doing that and applying God's eternal truth to us because we hear from him, we are going to be able to walk in a faith and a hope that takes us past, through, beyond, or helps us survive in the middle of whatever else comes. That was a really good place for amen. The faith instruction is heard through the current word of God. What is in God, from God's eternal truth of the Bible, which is never wrong, it's always accurate, but which part gets applied? What does God want to say to us right now to speak into that area of faith and hope that we can be sustained during the difficulty? Hope that says, I'm moving forward towards God, says, what do you want to say now? My hope is in you that you're going to deliver something to me that gets me through this thing, that helps me grow in this thing, that helps me understand. We don't disregard the other inputs. We simply put the highest value of inputs on what God says to us personally with appropriate counsel from other people and all of that, context and everything, the highest value is on what does God say to us. That's what we put our hope in. Who is the instructor for the four examples we talked about last week? For Thomas, God was the instructor. Thomas brought his own experience to Jesus, and Jesus gave him a kingdom understanding of what was going on that he had no idea before. Hello? We can bring the, I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in the holes in his hand kind of doubt to God, and God will say, fire away. He'll meet us there. Nicodemus, God was his instructor. Nicodemus came in his own ability to understand things, and Jesus sat down and said, here's how this stuff works in the kingdom. Gideon came. He brought his own ability to understand the circumstances and got a word from God that says, you're going to deliver your people from the Midianites. And he goes, I ain't got about 37, you know, things I want to complain about before we go there. And he goes, I'll answer all of them. Through his interaction and dialogue with what God said to him, the objections he had, the uncertainties he had, God answered them. The man with a demonized son, God was his instructor. The man came in his own desperation. Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible to those who believe. Guy says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. God says, good enough for me. The kid got free and healed. See, we do this because we have relationship with God, not because we read Psalm 17. I don't even know what's in Psalm 17. I just said that off the top of my head. But that's kind of how we do our devotions most of the time, rather than, God, what do you want to say to me out of this thing? I'm going to stay here till I get something, or I'm going to think on this verse all day until something comes to me. Two biblical examples. Their faith based on the reign of God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, you can read about it in Luke 1 and 2. She had a, an experienced an impossibility. She got pregnant with no sex. God said, by the way, I just put my son in your tummy. That would cause a little bit of confusion. 
She had times of doubt, but in the end of her wondering, she arrived at a place of faith. Luke one thirty eight says this. Mary said, may it be to me as you have said. What she's saying is, I don't understand this, but you're my, the source of my hope, and I believe you over the circumstance. Luke 2, 50 and 51. Jesus' parents didn't understand, but his mother Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Do you treasure what God has said to you even when you don't know how to apply it? Because that's the standard for biblical hope is what God has spoken rhema into us. Abraham received the impossible promise of a son. His response is instructive in how to move from doubt to faith. You can look it up later. I encourage you to look at it later. Romans four nineteen to 21 says this, Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21 says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. His hope was in God. He said, I'm going to have a kid. It is not working for either of us, but I trust you. He made the choice to go and say, I'm going to step into this thing because my hope is in you, not my ability to figure this out, not even my ability to understand that the doctors say this is biologically impossible for you to have happen. He says, I'm going to trust in you. By the way, and it was credited to him as righteousness before God. Just a little extra thing. Moving from doubt to faith does not require rejecting science, medicine, psychology, or life circumstances. Moving from doubt to faith means we acknowledge the way things are and then choose to believe what God says to us in those circumstances as being superior to what we see in life. Here's the stuff. Here's what God says. Who are you going to believe? It's a journey from doubt to faith. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in every area of our life at the same time. You may just fly through one area and really have it together really quick. I've got faith in God for this. You may have a whole other area where you're going, I don't even know where to start. I stumble over this every single time. It's not a straight line. It's not a linear development. It's like this. Man, I've had stuff where I'm going, yeah, God's going to do this. I've had times where it's going, just kill me and take me to heaven. And everywhere in between. In other places, it's right there. Our faith is only as certain as the object of, your, of our faith. What is the object of your faith? The bottom line place you go when everything else is not sure, falling apart, uncertain, don't know where we're going, where do you go? The instructor of every person's life is either God or the world system. When you're trying to learn how to grow in something, where do you go? The internet? Or the Bible? The instructor of every person's faith is God through the rhema 
truth of the Bible or the world system. From doubt to faith, it's a journey we travel with God and with other people. The quality of our faith is determined by the object and the instructor of our faith. Father, I ask that in your kindness this week, you would come to each person here and remind them of something you said to them during this little time we had. I ask that you would pour out a grace, a mercy, a kindness to begin to shift from us to you as the final source for how we approach life. I ask that you would give courage to people who have to contend to change something in their life, the way they think, the way they talk, the way they interact with people. I ask that you would give grace for people who have stumbled in, in an area many, 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 many times and are trying one more time to say, okay, God, what do you want to say? Here I go again. And God, I give you praise and glory because you are excited about helping your kids move from biblical doubt into biblical faith. Have a faith-filled week. Amen? Amen.